In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, there are a lot of particular and specific things that happen that end in the in our dear Lord Jesus hanging on the cross. A lot of pieces of the puzzle fit together. The betrayal of Judas, the political concerns of Pilate, in fact, the whole political relationship between the Jews and the Roman Empire. There's a lot of specifics in the history and in the story, especially the animosity of the scribes and of the Pharisees. That's what the Gospel reading is about, John 8, where, where Jesus and the, and the Jews, the Pharisees, are duking it out. It's, it's really quite incredible. They cl claim that Jesus is possessed by a demon. And Jesus calls them children of the devil. This animosity rises and grows. In fact, it starts to boil over until at last the Jews uh, have Jesus run through their court in the middle of the night and then hand him over to Pilate to be killed. All, all of these details that we have today and that we'll have in the next two weeks about how Jesus ends up on the cross all fit together to tell the story. But they don't tell us why. The Bible does answer this question, but not in the Gospel. In fact, I'd like to consider this from the Epistle text in Hebrews chapter 9, why Jesus is dying on the cross. What is He accomplishing there? But to get the answer, in, in fact, we want to look at the whole sweep of the Scriptures. We, and we'll start in the Old Testament. In fact, we'll start in the garden where God created, created everything and He delighted in it. Remember? God says, he, he makes all this and He says, it's good. And Adam and Eve are there. And He says, it's very good. There's this marvelous delight with the Lord's people and their God and with God and His people. But then remember what happens. The devil comes along. He tempts Adam and Eve to doubt God's word and to disobey it by eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve eat and all of creation is plunged into darkness and into death, into sin and into corruption. And now things, instead of being good, are bad. But remember what, what happens? That God comes. Adam and Eve are hiding, which I think is one of the worst verses of the whole Bible. That Adam and Eve are hiding from God. Uh, you fathers know this. One of the most marvelous things about being a father is when you come home and your children run up to you and they just dogpile you, jump on you. But imagine if you come up, come home and instead of the children running and grabbing onto your legs and piling on top of you like this, they run and they hide because they're afraid. That's what Adam and Eve do. They're hiding from God. But God finds them. And he says to them, remember, he curses the ground and he curses the devil. And then he preaches the gospel. He says, I'm going to put enmity, Eve, between you and the devil. Between your seed and his seed. And your seed, Eve, will crush the devil's head and the devil's seed will crush his heel. This is a promise of Jesus. And then the Lord, and this is not to be overlooked, then the Lord goes and he takes an animal and he fashions clothes for Adam and Eve. He takes their fig leaves away. And he puts in their place skin, the skin of an animal. We don't know this for sure, but as well as I can tell, this is the first, this is the first thing to die in all of God's creation. This is the first blood shed in the history of the universe, and it's an animal who did nothing wrong, shed, whose blood is shed by the hands of God so that he could cover the 
guilt and the shame of Adam and Eve. And so begins one of the most important themes of the Bible, that is sacrifice. The Lord sacrifices this animal so that he might cover the guilt of Adam and Eve. Innocent blood is spilt so that guilty blood would not be. Remember the Old Testament then. Remember Noah, who the first thing he does when he gets off the ark, he builds an, he builds an altar there and he puts sacrifices on it for the Lord. Remember Job, who day and night was making sacrifices lest, uh, to, to atone for the sin, to cover the sin of his children, if they might have sinned in their feasting. Remember Abraham, who was wandering all around the, the place. He was in Ur, and then he's up now the Tigris, now he's in the Promised Land, now he's over here to Syria, and he's in Egypt, and back and forth, and all over. And just about every place he goes, he leaves behind him an altar where he made sacrifices to God. And then remember Moses. The Lord said to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can go out into the wilderness and worship me. And they get out in the wilderness after the ten plagues, after the crossing through the Red Sea. And the Lord calls Moses up to the top of the flaming mountain and he gives him instruction for sacrifice. Here's where you sacrifice, the temple, the altar. Here's who sacrifices, the priesthood. Here's how they dress. Here's what you sacrifice. Here's when you sacrifice. The Lord lays it out. Exodus, Leviticus, here is how to sacrifice. And, and we're reading this and we say, there is a lot of blood here. And it's true. The Old Testament is full of blood. The, the priests were always making these sacrifices for, for God. And it's good news. Because the people are to understand the sacrifices like this. Just like the, the, the guilt of Adam and Eve is covered by this animal sacrifice, so the Old Testament people are to see this lamb or this bull or this goat go onto the altar and they are to understand that God is accepting their death in my place. I should be the one on the altar. I should be the one whose, whose throat is slit and whose blood is drained. I should be the one who's going up in smoke. I should be the one there getting the anger of God. But God is accepting the death and the blood and the sacrifice of another in my place. That's the best news of all. There was in the Old Testament, and this is the last little piece of the puzzle that we want to get before we go to Hebrews, there was a sacrifice that was above all other sacrifices. The Day of Atonement. There was two bulls sacrificed on that day, sacrificed for the sins of the people. The first bull was sacrificed and the high priest would take that blood and he would go into the most holy place, the very center, the inner sanctum of the, of the temple. And no one would ever go in there except for the high priest and only twice a year on the same day, the Day of Atonement. He would take that blood into the holy place the first time the bull sacrificed for his own sin and he would pour it on the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod rested and that blood would flow on the mercy seat and it would go between the wrath of God because of our sin and the, and, and, and the people. The priest would do it once for himself and then he'd go out and he'd do it a second time for all the people of Israel. The, the Holy of Holies, and this is just some interesting stuff to think about, it would have been pitch black. The curtain would have covered it like this. And so the priests would have had to go 
blind. Uh, I suspect that the high priests had a room where they practiced moving around. They would have to go in through the curtain, come down along the curtain like this, step forward, go down through the other curtain, come into the Holy of Holies and bring the blood there and find the, uh, the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant in the dark and there pour the blood. They wore bells on their robes in case the glory of God killed them and they would, the people outside would know because the bells would stop ringing. And they'd go in there with a rope tied around their ankles so that if they died, no one would have to go get them. They would just drag them out. The holy place. But the holy place is where God accepts the blood of the sacrifice to cover our sins. All this is pointing to Jesus. And so do our epistle reading. In fact, not just this in Hebrews chapter 9, but the whole book of Hebrews is telling us this, that the death of Jesus is the final and complete and the perfect sacrifice to take away sin. Jesus' death is a sacrifice. And that's the why of Jesus dying. I mean, it's a pretty important question for us to get our heads around. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins? And this is the answer. His blood is the atoning sacrifice. It takes away the wrath of God. It covers our sin. It brings God's smile. Jesus is dying in our place. Our vicarious satisfaction. He's dying instead of us. He ends God's anger. Here's the text. You have it on your bulletin, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus is the high priest, but he did not take the blood of a bull into the earthly temple. He took his own blood into the eternal temple, to the throne room of God, to the holy of holy of holies. This is quite wonderful. Jesus doesn't enter the earthly temple in Jerusalem, but the heavenly temple and He does it to redeem us, to pay the price for our sins. Remember the Catechism. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord who has redeemed me, not with gold or silver, but with His holy, precious blood, His innocent suffering and death. Jesus brings His blood to the throne room of God and there He pours it over all of your sins, the record of everything that you've done wrong. He washes it away. He appeases God's wrath. He forgives your sins. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls, of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify, make holy for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What's the result of this sacrifice of Jesus dying in our place? 
of His shedding His blood? What is the result for us? The answer from the text is a clean conscience. Our conscience is that thing the Lord has put in us to remind us of our guilt, the things that we've done wrong, all the commandments that we've broken, God's anger, and all of this. Our conscience is always there accusing us. It's always reminding us of our weakness and of our failure and of our sickness and of our death and of our sin. But the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience by forgiving our sin. It sets us free from the constant and fruitless efforts to please God with our own efforts because we know by the blood of Jesus that God is already pleased with us. The sacrifice of Jesus sets us free. It sets us free from the condemnation of the law. It sets us free from the, uh, from the debt of our own sin. It sets us free from guilt and from shame. It sets us free to love and serve our neighbor without fear, for there is no fear for those who have been forgiven. This is a great joy. Because it is appointed, says Hebrews, for man once to die and then to be judged, and this for sinners is a frightful proposition. To stand before God with all of our sin and all that we've done wrong. To stand before God with a, with a list of all of our breaking of His commandments. But that list has been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. There is no more guilt for you. There is no more shame. There is no more sin. There is no breaking of the law. Jesus' blood takes that all the way and gives to you in its place righteousness and peace and joy and freedom. Jesus' death is a sacrifice to atone for your sin. His blood covers your shame. And because of this, Jesus is not ashamed of you. He loves you. He forgives you. He smiles on you. All of your shame and fear is covered by this sacrifice. By His blood. He gives us a clean conscience. Therefore, Hebrews continues, verse 15, Therefore, He is the mediator of a New Testament in order that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that, it, that redeems them from all transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus is the sacrifice of the New Testament. The sacrifice to end all sacrifices. The sacrifice of the forgiveness of sins. And He, by this sacrifice, gives us the inheritance. Did you see it in the text? The inheritance of eternal life. He makes you part of God's family. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. And indeed you are. For this sacrifice, the death of Jesus on the altar of the cross, the blood of God shed for you, this sacrifice makes everything that went wrong in the world, this makes it all right, all good, so that Jesus looks at you and he says, I am pleased. May we, as we by the Holy Spirit 
Consider the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross today and always. May we be given the comfort of the forgiveness of all of our sins. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.